Welcome to the podcast. A uh, big announcement today. Uh, we'll tell you about it right off the top. Uh, Dave Rubin is coming to Blaze TV. Make sure you join at blazetv.com slash Glenn. Use the promo code Glenn. Save 10 bucks. Just another one of the great additions we have here at the Blaze. Um, coming up on the show today, we have uh, Pat Gray going to talk about uh, the Boris Johnson and Brexit situation, which is just a, I don't understand their system at all. Uh, Bridget Fetisi joins the show uh, with Glenn, and they talk about uh, how... The left and, you know, some on the right, but a lot on the left are uh, handling the conversation in this country. And it gets messier and messier. And Paul Jaley, who talks about the 400th anniversary of the Pilgrims landing in uh, Mass, um, that's, you know, an important story from history. And we'll get the updates on that. Um, And uh, we'll go into um, the whole uh, situation with neurocapitalism. Something, a term you're going to start hearing a little bit more about, all in today's podcast. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program. You know, there are a lot of insane things that are going on in the world today. Yesterday, I hosted the Rubin Report with Dave Rubin. Every year, he takes a month away from all media, all phones, all technology. And so he comes back, and he has absolutely no idea what's happened in the last month. So yesterday, I spent two hours with him live on uh, YouTube and going over all of the stories. I have to just go over some of them because you realize when you just when you look at the past month how crazy and how fast the world is traveling uh and we're going to tell you about an announcement uh for the blaze that um dave made we we made uh part one of an announcement part two is coming closer to the end of the year uh but uh the dave rubin show is going to be uh now found on the blaze so if you're Blaze subscriber, you now get Dave Rubin, or you will in a few weeks. Um, you'll get the Dave Rubin uh, report, which is fantastic. And Dave is a good friend, and we're glad. We're, no, no, no. We're thrilled to have him a part of the Blaze, and we'll give you a little bit more of that coming up in a minute. I, I, if you don't have the Blaze yet, I don't know what you're waiting for. You, you have all of the best shows that are available. It's only getting better the cost isn't going up. I mean, it is fantastic. We have like 30 different shows now, 30 different hosts. Um, and adding people like Dave Rubin, you're just not going to be able to uh, find a better deal uh, for all of the voices that you like and all of the voices that can help you stay informed than theblaze.com. Uh, Make sure you go now to uh, blazetv.com, blazetv.com. Slash Glenn, use the promo code Glenn, and you're going to get a discount. I think it's 10% off uh, now for your first year. 10% off your first year if you uh, subscribe now. BlazeTV.com slash Glenn, promo code Glenn. All right. Now, one of those things that I think is insane, absolutely insane, that I can't believe is happening is this storyline with Elon Omar. The fact that she is still a U.S. congresswoman is nuts. But why is it happening? Because our media, you know, I, I really didn't like when Donald Trump said the media was the enemy of the people. But I have to tell you, they are the enemy of truth. And 
if truth is what, you know, the Washington Post says, oh, Republic dies in darkness. Well, if that's true, you're killing the Republic because you are adding to the darkness. You are not enlightening anyone. This is where the silence from the media is doing great damage to our country. They are so unwilling to do their jobs, so complicit in allowing scandal after scandal after scandal involving Elon Omar to go completely ignored. Now consider this. It took internet bloggers to first investigate a story that something weird was going on with all of Omar's marriages. It wasn't until official Minnesota documents were unearthed during her campaign finance violations that news broke that she had committed tax fraud. Not only that, that she had been married to to two different men at the same time. The question was, is one of those guys her brother? There's been a lot of circumstantial evidence to pour through. But the media still will not do their jobs. I don't know why she's so protected from the elites at the Times, the Post, CNN. I don't know why she's so protected in Washington, D.C. Unless it is the power she wields with care and the Muslim Brotherhood. Omar has claimed that her newest alleged love interest, Democratic strategist and fundraiser Tim Minette, isn't someone she's romantically involved with. But last week, Minette's wife filed for divorce, stating in court documents that the reason she's divorcing her husband is because of his affair with Omar. And yesterday, two sources have come forward, one for the New York Post and one for the Powerline blog, claiming that Omar's current husband is about to file for divorce due to the affair. The source at Powerline claims that Omar's husband is saying that he knows that Omar did, in fact, marry her brother. Can you imagine if this guy starts talking? Because he knows where all of the bodies are buried. Now, today I took a glance at all of the mainstream outlets and publications... They're not talking about any of this. And again, it begs the question, why is Omar protected? We could go down the road of, you imagine if she was a Republican. They they would be all over this story. just, Just one of the scandals would still be front page coverage. But these aren't the only thing that the media is ignoring when it comes to Omar. The silence is unforgivable. The press is the enemy of truth and information, and it is dangerous. We know now that Omar likes to fundraise for care. The media doesn't seem to give a flying crap about care, the unindicted co-conspirator in the Holy Land Foundation case. But an investigation that uncovered multiple groups here in the United States The the funding of the terror organization known as Hamas, an organization whose sole responsibility is to kill Jews and destroy the state of Israel. 
Now, because of CARE's involvement with the Holy Land Foundation, the FBI officially broke all ties with dealing with them. But despite this, Elon Omar continues to get a free pass for headlining fundraisers at posh CARE galas. Why? Why? They have been helping fund a terrorist organization. Now, don't worry, because it only gets worse from here. Last week, Elon Omar, from her official Twitter account, made this tweet. Now, remember, this is after her saying, we're going to go to Israel because we just want to we just want to support people there. And we found out that her trip was being planned by a group that was talking about crazy, crazy stuff about talking about how whites shouldn't marry blacks and and uh, women are not equal and how uh, uh, gays are an abomination and of course Jews were leading the pack on you know need to be destroyed we find this out nobody in the press even mentions that that's who was that's who was arranging her trip now don't worry about it Now, she quoted, uh, she, uh, let me quote her. This is what she said on her official Twitter account. She said, quote, Somali government and peacekeeping forces need to protect Hormud and the Somali telecom industry as they make an enormous contribution to the economy and provide a vital service. During my visit to Somalia in 2011, I was surprised by the quick evolution of technology in Somalia. Okay, sounds good, right? I mean... I don't want the people of Somalia to be hurt. And if there's a company providing services in a war-torn and underdeveloped country, why shouldn't a congresswoman support them? There's nothing wrong with that. Except, oh, I don't know, maybe if that company in question is a terror supporter. That's exactly what this company is that Omar is so infatuated uh, with. Hormood uh, Telecommunications. It was created by and operated by one of the chief chief financiers of Al-Shabaab. You know what Al-Shabaab is? That's Al-Qaeda. That's Al-Qaeda in Somalia. Now, you don't have to take it from me. You can take it from that other really, really, really not credible right-wing source of the U.N. The U.N. has confirmed this in their own reports. The U.N. also links Hormuz telecommunications to the deadliest terror attack in Somalia. Hundreds were killed. Now, gee... This Somali company, a financing arm of Al-Qaeda, has just been endorsed by a sitting member of the United States Congress who is denying an affair with somebody who is getting a lot of money from a a seeming slush fund for working on her campaign. He also is getting paid a lot of money with Keith Ellison. Keith Ellison who happened to vacate the seat that Omar took and now is the attorney general in Minnesota. Keith Ellison, the guy who keeps turning a blind eye to the law enforcement when it comes to Elon Omar. Hmm. 
So she fundraises for the propaganda arm of Hamas. She publicly calls for the protection of the cash cow for Al-Qaeda in Somalia. What is it going to take for the media to pay attention? How long will the people in New York and Washington protect this woman? How long? Nancy Pelosi, I think a lot of things about you. But I don't think that you actually hate your country. This woman, I believe, does. This woman is actively engaged, in my opinion, with some very, very bad people. I believe she does want the destruction of America. This is more than just an ethics problem with one of your members. Elon Omar, in my opinion, is dangerous. And either someone is pulling her strings or she's just too stupid to know who and who is not a terrorist. Either way, Elon Omar should not be a congresswoman. And Nancy Pelosi, you and the rest of the Democrats are going to be eaten by the extremists of your own party. If you're not already on, your, on their plate, you're about to have a giant fork stuck into you because you're done soon. The best of the Glenn Beck program. Hey, it's Glenn, and if you like what you hear on the program, you should check out Pat Gray Unleashed. His podcast is available wherever you download your favorite podcast. Welcome to the program. Glad you're here. If you are not a subscriber to The Blaze yet, you need to be. You need to be a subscriber to The Blaze at blazetv.com. Yesterday, I was on with uh, Dave Rubin on uh, The Rubin Report, and he announced at the very end... Uh, that he is joining the blaze uh it'll still he'll still have the Rubin report you know as if you're a subscriber of his you'll still get it the same way et cetera et cetera but you'll also be able to get it at the blaze and you'll have uh i think it's a twenty four hour advance uh to uh his shows and so we're thrilled to have Dave Rubin join us it is really um because we're quite concerned about uh losing our voices. And we all need to stand together. We all need to be strong as individuals, but also stand together. Uh, and one of the people that we talked about uh, yesterday was uh, Bridget Fetisi, who is uh, with us now. Hi, Bridget. <laughs> Hi. Sorry. Uh, yeah, you're in. You you live here. I do. How how do you live here? <sighs> I never leave my house. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's crazy here. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It is. You know what I feel, though, that more and more people, because more people are kind of pushing back against a lot of that extreme insanity. Mm-hmm. So I found an underground support system, but it's definitely underground. I I mean, you it just- is underground. It is underground. But I will tell you, I sense a change here. I had uh, lunch with uh, Jason Blum yesterday mm-hmm. from from Blumhouse. If you don't know who he is, he did get out. Uh, he did Whiplash. All I mean, he's won Oscars, lots of lots of accolades. He is a disruptor of the movie industry. Right. <clears throat> he's very very left. Okay. I shouldn't say that. He's very liberal. Right. He's very liberal. He cannot take the political correctness of 
who you can talk to, right. who you can't talk to. Yeah, no, I can't do it. It's, the guilt by association. Yeah, and I think there is a real change right? Uh, to where people who don't necessarily agree with me are, you know, he said, we, we went out to lunch, and uh, he said, I, I, can I get a picture with you? And I said, you want a picture with me? He said, yeah, I want to post it. And I said, you're going to get hell for that. And he did. Man, I yeah. saw his post, and everybody just hated him. Just hated him for it. Uh, yeah. And what's crazy is I posted it myself, and I didn't get the hate no. for him. My side was like, great. I think this is great. <laughs> it's nuts. No, it's. I mean, I was laughing because I posted that thing on my, I posted our podcast. You were a guest on my podcast. Yeah. And I posted it on my Facebook. <laughs> and it was And then it got blocked. taken down. Yeah. They said we're blocking this because it violates community standards. What but community standards? But I have standards? sex therapists on my podcast. I know. I've listened to your podcast. You will talk about anything. <laughs> no, there are no standards. <laughs> right. And I didn't talk about anything. I mean, I was. No, I was, it was like the most mild podcast by maybe far of all of my right. guests. It's the difference between like uh, I don't know Bob Hope and Dave Chappelle. I mean, it was pretty mild. Yeah, and I'm the one that gets you in trouble. Well, it's just funny because it's the it's the yeah it. I was saying that I guarantee it was just somebody who is friends with me or follows me on Facebook, and they were like, I don't feel safe, reported. Oh, my god! But they didn't even listen to it. And so then I started, like, a war on Facebook because what happened was people have been – and this is why I think sharing the risk is important, and I think it's important that people like your friend who took a picture, people like me who are like, I'm not playing this game. Yeah. Um, we keep doing that because I, I don't realize the effect that I've had on people just by observing. Mm -hmm. So once I got blacked and I was like, I'm done with this site. I hate it. I, I don't like Facebook anyway. It feels like a nursing home compared mm -hmm. to Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> it's so slow. I'm like, mm -hmm. when's bingo night? <laughs> What's going on, guys? They're like, did you hear this? I'm like, yeah, two weeks ago on Twitter. <laughs> Catch up. And so I don't really use it that often. So the algorithm doesn't really like me you know you yeah. have you must feed the algorithms yeah, yeah, and yeah. then yesterday because there was all this action suddenly everyone saw that I had posted this post about having it taken down now I understand more being a, a new writer whatever Dave calls it whatever space I'm in yeah why there's so much uh why there's that feeling of what media bias well that's that is you have reason to believe that these things are true and it might it's it's enforced partially by the it's enforced obviously by Facebook and Twitter but it's it's they're given the kind of you know ability to do that with somebody just being able to report that because it doesn't it doesn't make them feel safe. Yeah. And they didn't even tell me what standards. I haven't ha there's they no won't. there was no way for me to even contest it. So at least Twitter gives you the ability to kind of make an appeal if it takes something down. So just go to just go to wherever you get your podcast and look for Bridget Fetessy's, uh, uh Walk-In's Welcome. And it's the episode with me. 
and tell me that we violated. Listen to some of her other guests. <laughs> Listen and to then, the sex therapist. Yeah, yes. and then tell me that I was the one that was violating community standards. I want to read what somebody said because the comment was unbelievable. And I'll find it in a minute. But this guy, so I started this war because people who have been observing me, they came to my defense. People that I didn't expect to come to my defense. Yeah. They were like, somebody said that you were all right. They said, we need to block the alt right. I'm like, the alt right hates Glenn Beck. If you knew any, <laughs> if you knew anything, you'd know they but hate. But they don't. They don't. <laughs> they don't. They don't know anything, and they just are just going whatever it is that the the algorithm oh, has has taught them. Yeah, it says uh, Bridget Fetisy. He is a gateway drug. Soft fascism. Perhaps he has reformed to try and revise his toxic legacy. And censoring demagogues doesn't increase the appeal of the alt right. That is a briar patch argument of the alt right. Unfortunately, free speech intolerance we require intolerance of intolerance. Somebody, somebody on Twitter was like, "WTF did I just read?" Like, what does that even mean? How do you seriously? How do you live here? I mean, um, Dave Chappelle. Have you seen the Dave Chappelle? Yeah, of course. It's fantastic. It's brilliant. It's, yeah. You know what? I watched it, and I my first thought was it's really, really funny. Mm. Um, but it's it's not anything that would have been called brilliant fifteen years ago. Well, I think what Dave, you know, a lot of the things that I've come to understand, there the comedians are. I've always been obsessed with comedians because they exist in this um, this intersection of free speech and. And comedy is fascinating mm-hmm. to me. And it's such a particularly American art form, just being able to get on stage and talk and push back against whatever the establishment. Mm-hmm. And having him go after what is the tenets of woke, as far as I see, which Oof. is the religion. Yeah. And the the left just isn't used to having people of their own. I mean, I think the Babylon Bee had a headline the other day that said, um, liberals only like when black men, liberals only allow black men to speak when they say what they want them to say or when they agree <laughs> right. with them or something right. like yeah. that. And so he he's pushing back instinctively against all of their tenets of woke because it is this every I, I see all the comedians. There's another one, Andrew Schultz, and he did a crowd work special on YouTube and he's brilliant, but he was completely politically incorrect in this special he's a genius it was all off the top of his head Mm. and just but you can see the crowd it was more for me watching the crowd just laughing at all these racist profile jokes that he was making and the relief it was a very diverse crowd the the relief of the audience of like thank you i know well Chappelle. what was funny was Chappelle's Chappelle. do we have the audio of Chappelle calling out he he does an impression and he says, "I want you oh, to yeah, I, I want this. you to guess who I'm uh, who I'm imitating." Go ahead, play it. Uh, you want the one where he does where he's talking back, yeah. talking to the audience. Is yes, that the where he's talking for? to the audience. Yes, please. Yes, okay. You have it. Yeah, we. Uh, you could have probably, possibly given us a hint up on this. Well, I thought you had it. I heard it earlier. Second. I thought yeah. it was you know maybe right there. <laughs> we do. Okay, well, Average we'll just somewhere. We're gonna, we're gonna tell work you on what, it. I'm just going to take mm-hmm. my sock off and I'll just use a sock puppet and I'll do Dave Chappelle's voice if you don't have it. Do you have it? No. So Dave goes, Dave says, 
Oh, I'm freaking out. Even though uh, okay, if I do we anything, don't need, we don't need I your just, Dave. I don't ruin it the... for the people. <laughs> <laughs> okay, don't ruin it. So, but he takes on the audience. Yeah, and they're doing the kind of clapter. They think it's funny, but they also don't realize. Uh, no, he's really talking about me. Right. What he's saying is, um, you know, I, I'm going to stop you. He does a whole impression, and then he says, who am I? And what was interesting to me was that the audience said Trump. Trump, because they're so used to every joke being about Trump. And he right. said, no, dummies, I'm talking about uh, you. You. And, you. Yeah. And they all laughed and <laughs> clapped, and but I think they thought that that you didn't include them. Well, everybody thinks right. that. You know, oh, no, but he doesn't mean he me. He doesn't mean me specifically. He <laughs> right. means the royal you. Right. And he really <laughs> meant you yeah. specifically. Yeah. And he said, this makes comedy impossible. It makes being, uh, you know, anybody in the limelight impossible. Yeah. And it is so refreshing to hear so I thought at first, just this is this is something that somebody could have said and wouldn't have been groundbreaking or, you know, game changing 15 years ago. Now it is game changing. But if you really think about what he says, like his his abortion joke is brilliant. It's brilliant. Although brilliant. that was funny, too, because conservatives were. It's just funny how people hear what they want to hear. Yeah. He, I don't know what I heard. I, he's just funny because everybody's like, yeah, it really can get behind his pro-life message. I'm yeah. like, he's not pro. That's not a pro-life message. He's he's nuanced and making he's taking the piss out of everybody. Yes. And that's the brilliant thing about Dave is he'll get he'll draw you in and you're like, yeah, I'm, he's on my side. And then yeah. as he the minute and you think he is, he reverses, he reverses it. Yeah. And And what he was I think what he was saying on that was. If you think you're right, perhaps you're wrong. Yeah, I think that's really... So it was a lesson on certitude. Well, he it used to be... Now we have this idea that you know what everybody, where everyone stands and you speak to them. And it's gone are the days where somebody can just make fun of everyone because mm-hmm. you either need to be speaking to... So what, what he did in that special, messing with everyone's perceptions of themselves and each other... And I do think he got so much of a lot of the the criticism is that he's a reactionary, which is what anyone who pushes back against the left gets called. Mm-hmm. And he is reacting to and they said, oh, he's defending celebrity, but only somebody as big as Dave Chappelle, who's essentially uncancelable, mm-hmm. can fight these fights. Yeah, because you're who's who's going to fight it? Some Correct. guy coming up. Correct. I fight it because I have nothing to lose. But if I'm in that mid-range, mm-hmm. I mean, I think I saw um, Andy Lasner was talking to Dana Lash. Mm-hmm. And Andy's a friend of mine. And I'm like, Andy. This is, the, uh, <laughs> this is the Ellen producer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I was like, Andy, you need to be careful. I'm just <laughs> Why? warning you. Well, I was because, just, because he's going to get attacked. Right. And again, I would say that, you know, I, good for him. I think it's amazing. He's not afraid. No, he's not. He's not afraid. He's not. I mean, he is a guy. I'd like to have him on the show. He's, I mean, he follows several people at the place. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because he follows people 
that he doesn't necessarily agree with, yeah. but he thinks are smart. Yeah, and he'll, he's willing to engage in a yes. dialogue with them. That's and so, good. And he, but I was laughing because I, I said, um, he, I, to me, he's in that like kind of dangerous mid range <laughs> where I'm like, yeah. they can pick you off. They yeah. can't pick Ellen off, but yeah. they might try and come for That's you. That's the same thing I think with Jason Blum is he is he's tired of it, and he he's like, if I want to have lunch with somebody. I'm yeah. going to have lunch with somebody because yeah. I like them and I don't care what you think. Yeah. And he's trying because they, you can't cancel Jason Blum. No. Uh, and so what are they going to do about it? And he's trying, I think, he's one of the people that try to set an example of, look, I, I can get along with a lot of people and we have to stop this. Right. Or we're all in trouble. Well, it's if you, you know, they for all the talk that they had about the bubble and how they didn't see anything, they they were in a bubble They've insulated themselves even more by creating these lines that you now can't cross. Yeah. So now you're saying we were in a bubble, but you can't talk to anybody in outside of the bubble. Yeah. Or you're a Nazi. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, how is that making your bubble expanding? You're just creating an even more insulated bubble. And isn't that what the Nazis <laughs> did? <laughs> I'm pretty sure you misunderstand what the Nazis were. Yeah. All right, Bridget Fetisy, you can uh, find her at, what's your website, BridgetFetisy.com? Um, yeah, you can find me at Fetisy.com or check out um, my new YouTube show, Weekly Dumpster Fire on YouTube, <laughs> and where I just go through all the 24-hour outrage cycle and make fun of oh everyone. Gosh. I was on with Dave Rubin. He's off for a month. You yeah, know, yeah. He doesn't do it. So I did his show yesterday. Did you see it? No, okay. I was working. Oh, sure, sure. Uh, so anyway, uh, it, I just went through the month's worth of news, and you want to talk about a dumpster fire. Yeah. Just look at the last oh, month. Oh, I know. It's crazy. I know. All right, Bridget, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. You bet. This is the best of the Glenn Beck Program. Hey, it's Glenn, and if you like what you hear on the program, you should check out Pat Gray Unleashed. His podcast is available wherever you download your favorite podcast. So one of my favorite people in the world, and I have yet to meet, and I am so upset that I'm in Los Angeles while he is in my studio in Dallas. I was supposed to be there today, and I, I couldn't make it back in time. His name is Paul Jaley. He lives in Plymouth, Massachusetts, where he is the senior pastor of the New Testament Church, he is also the educational director for the Plymouth Rock Foundation, where they teach the Constitution, leadership, uh, education, youth ministry. They tie them to biblical principles. And he is one of the guys, he's one of the last men standing in Plymouth. And dare I say it, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, Paul, but you're not exactly popular for teaching the truth in Plymouth anymore. Well, you know that... Uh, that Sometimes you're not popular when you teach the truth, but a lot of great things are going on in Plymouth. And I've got great news because more and more, not only the entire town, I've been there a long time. So I've worked in and around Plymouth for almost four decades. Uh, and so I've been there a long time, I've got great relationships with the town. And we're going to see the town's activities. And the town has sanctioned our event in 2020, June 28 to 30, the American Pilgrimage 400. And I think that uh, we're seeing a lot of people come together in unity I think there's a, a great things that are going to happen next year. Of course, not everybody is on board with the same kind of story. Everybody has their interpretations. But you know what? 
if we stick to the facts and we uh, share it in a winsome way and we are servants to those that we meet and what we do on the streets, hey, there can be a lot of things happening. And I know there's been controversy. There was controversy in Jamestown over the word celebration, but the word commemoration was often chosen. It's a synonym to celebration anyway. And so, you know, the point is we want to honor You're wrecking all my great. fun. You're wrecking all my fun. <laughs> You're wrecking all my fun. Yeah, that's okay, because here's the point. It, we want to see some powerful things come out when people hear the true story. I mean, what a powerful story when you think about it. Here's a remnant of people. It's a church plant. I mean, America was started in New England with a church plant. Here's a group of people that are persecuted in England. They're told by the king they can't leave, and they're told by the king they can't stay. Now, that's that's a dilemma. And then they escape to Holland for 12 years. They have all kinds of issues in Amsterdam the first year. They move to Leiden. They begin to grow their church. Their church grows to over 300 uh, in Leiden, Holland. They are very gracious immigrants to Holland, they work all the jobs that others won't, don't want to. They have to learn a textile business. They have to learn a new language. They're, they're going through all these things, and their church finally grows. And then the truce with Spain is going to end in, in 1620. Their, their children are getting older. They just have this vision to be stepping stones to birth the kingdom of God. What people don't realize is the pilgrims were not about themselves. The pilgrims were not about their own church. It wasn't about building their own church, having a name for themselves. As William Bradford said it, they wanted to be propagate the advancement of the gospel of the kingdom of Christ into the remote parts of the world. Yea, though they would be stepping stones unto others for the performing of so great a work. What a powerful the, passage from William so Bradford. They, when you really read about them, I mean, they were setting out for New Guinea. And uh, the first ship left and then turned around because the, the, the mass broke. And that's when, if I'm not mistaken, was it Bradford? It, one of them said... I've heard from God and we have to go to we have to go to America. We have to go to, you know, uh, uh, you know, what is now New England. And they didn't want to go. And they lost a lot of the pilgrims who said, I'm not going there because that was really certain death. People thought back then. Well, also, you know, you have to realize when the two ships left um, London, the Mayflower was rented. The Speedwell was owned by the pilgrims. When the Speedwell sprung leaks, be, and of course they found out later it was probably overmasted by the captain because he didn't want to go of the right. Speedwell. Then they put into Plymouth Harbor in England and then left on one ship. Yes, about 20 or so stayed behind in Plymouth. There was a great Reformed church there that they could have fellowship with. It had put them all up. Imagine these people had to stay there for several weeks while they tried to repair the Speedwell. And then they were heading over. They were going to actually go to where New Amsterdam is in New York. Uh, was their destination, the northern parts of Virginia. Of course, Virginia was just about everything back then. And mm-hmm. they were going to go there. And then when they got blown off course and found themselves on Cape Cod, now they're outside their charter, they're outside their permission. And they they had been so well trained by their pastor. I think this is a, a message that uh, Americans need to hear. Here's a pastor, John Robinson, who trains their his own people in self-government. He sends out the key core members of the church, about 75 out of that 300, he sends to the new world. He doesn't even go himself. Now, that's a powerful example that uh, if you're teaching really well, you can send people you've taught and you don't even have to go. And then Hmm. he ends up um, over, of course, he stays with the church till he dies five years later. But the point is that the pilgrims come and they're so well taught on self-government. 
And this is something Americans need to, to realize, that the unique aspect of the Pilgrim story is people could govern their own lives. They could govern themselves. And so civil government was merely to bring order. Civil government was not to control everybody's life, not to uh, be involved in everyone's life. And so here the Pilgrims, they, they drop the Mayflower Compact. Now, of course, England is not going to look at the Mayflower Compact as licit or legal. Uh, they're just going to look down on that. But here you have this powerful story of the pilgrims writing this Mayflower Compact, which they they use as a preamble to their laws for the next few decades. And you recognize that, and they, they made it clear, in the name of God, amen, it starts. We whose names are underwritten, the subjects of our dread sovereign King James. So it was God to the people and then to the government. That's a power flow you see re, restated in the Declaration of Independence. You, mm-hmm. you can see the seeds of what would make America great, though it would take time. It would take time for that to blossom. Seeds don't always come up at the same time. So, so Paul, what is your what is your opinion on uh, the Pilgrims making a covenant? Um, well, the with Pilgrims, God? no, they made a covenant with God. In fact, the first covenant, the whole concept of covenant was the spine of the Bible to them. That was the heart of the entire uh, thing. So, that you made a covenant with God personally, but then you made a covenant with God as a church. That covenant in 1606, where they shook off the yoke of anti-Christian bondage, joined themselves by a covenant of the Lord, as Bradford says, into a church estate. Now, you have to realize how controversial that was at that time. They took the scripture literally, where it said two or three gathered together. There am I, Christ would say, in their midst of them, in Matthew 18 and Matthew 20. When that was, when that was uh, talked about, they truly believed that two or three individuals didn't have to have a bishop, didn't have to have a priest, didn't have to have a pastor— Two or three individuals could come into covenant, and they could then form a church. This was a bottom-up, inside-out operation, which is the kingdom of God, totally opposite from what we see in kingdoms around the world. And they thought that they were completing the the crossing uh, of the Red Sea. They thought that they were going to reestablish the new Jerusalem. They knew that the old Jerusalem was there. But there was a new Jerusalem that they were trying to establish. Is well, that they, right? they, they looked at the, the typology and the symbol, symbolic language of the Bible that, yes, the new Jerusalem was an aspect, a spiritual aspect of the church. And so they would look at it that way. They did not necessarily have any clue what would happen as a result yeah. of what they did. But right. they recognize that, look, we want to see the kingdom of God extended. And I think that when individuals get their eyes off of themselves, off of their own church, their own program and whatnot, they begin to move forward. This is when you can be of greatest service to others because you're not looking for a fight. You're not looking just to, to, to cause a problem. You want to serve people for their benefit. And that's what gave them a bit of a unique aspect. Now, look, I teach it in every Ameri- in every event in history. There's some negative because people are involved and there's some positive because God is involved. And so you have mm-hmm. the providential view of God. You have no people are perfect, but boy, I tell you when they came, that whole concept of covenant is what caused them to write the Mayflower compact because they're extending that concept of covenant from the church to the civil sphere. Uh, it also was their concept of trying to make peace with the local natives by doing it by an agreement of some covenant. So yes, covenant permeates all that they do personally in the church uh, it could be summarized that the the, the pilgrims, no question, uh, believe they were fulfilling God's covenant and would go to the ends of the earth to do it. Right. George Washington also made a covenant. Abraham Lincoln made a covenant. And I feel as though we don't recognize that anymore. And God keeps his side of the covenant. But if we don't keep our side of the, government, uh, the covenant, we, we lose protection and 
and we lose his favor, if you will. He, God's never on our side. We have to work to be on his side. Correct. And, and I and, think that the Puritans even talked that way, too. In yeah. 1630, when Winthrop came, he said uh, that we, we want to make a covenant with God. In fact, he said, look, the eyes of all the world will be upon us. If we truly keep this covenant, th- this will be a blessing to all nations. But if we don't, we'll become a byword unto the nations. I fear that we are we are close to that. But you, when you look at the external, there's no question. We see the nation falling apart. We see us divided more than we've ever been before. But you know what? You, it's a trained thing. As a pastor, as someone who's studied the Bible for years, I look at it and I say, we also have to keep our vision on that which is unseen. There are yes. so many good things happening in small pockets around America. There are you pastors are so praying right. together. I've never seen it like this in 40 years of ministry. There are more unity. There's more unity in Plymouth, Massachusetts. There are a remnant of Christians that are on their knees, not asking, oh, can we get the recognition we deserve? But, Lord, would you move? Would there, would there be a revival of interest not only in you, God? That's most important. But then in the history of what happened here. And not just looking at the negative, but looking at the positive. And I think that's the thing we have to recognize. I talked to uh, um, Billy Graham, uh, and I think it was the last time I talked to him. And uh, I said, you know, where, where is the next Billy Graham? Where is the next, you know, George mm-hmm. Washington? He said, I don't think the Lord is going to work that way. He said, I think the Lord is working now through people that are nameless, that aren't famous, and he said they're he's growing them all around the world. And only at the end, when it really looks impossible, will this break through. And he said, I think he's doing that to make sure everybody knows it's God. It's not an individual this time. It's God. I, I think that's absolutely correct. Absolutely correct. And the event that we're putting on June 28 to 30 called the American Pilgrimage 400, the goal we have uh, in 2020 for that event is for, for Christians, others to come and to see that here's a small remnant of individuals who weren't out to make a name for themselves, who would have been, who would actually be embarrassed to see monuments put up about them. Uh, and yet here they come and look what God could do through a small remnant. Half of them die the first winter and everything goes wrong. You couldn't have more that go wrong. Uh, Except them, everything you know, went, everything ex- went wrong ex- with ex- that's right. Uh, everything went right as well. So talking to Paul Jaley, um, uh, Paul, um, tell me about what you're doing and what the dates are again. This is June 28th on a Sunday through the 30th of June 2020. Now, one of the things we want to do is portray the faith that brought the pilgrims to America for all there to see. We're doing an actual reenactment of a pilgrim church service on Sunday morning, the 28th, right down on the waterfront. I, we, all the songs we're singing are exactly the way the pilgrims sang the songs. I'm going to preach a sermon right from the notes of John Robinson, and we're going to have a, a demonstration right on the waterfront there for all to see. That afternoon at Forefathers Monument, uh, and we're going to have a, a mm. large rally right there where we're going to be rehearsing the faith that brought the pilgrims here to America. And then on Monday, all during the day, Monday and Tuesday, that 29th and 30th, people can sign up for tours, walking tours of Plymouth. They can sign up for seminars from some of the great historians around the country that are coming in. And uh, then in the Monday night, we're doing a production, a musical and uh, a production, some reenacting of why the pilgrims actually came from their own words. So people can see what it was. And not only that, I have pastors from around the world that are going to come in and give short two minute testimonies of the impact of the pilgrim story in Nigeria, in Brazil, in Guatemala, in different areas around the world where people have seen, gee, if a remnant can do this, what could happen today? 
yeah. I was talking to an international leader, um, and he, and I said to him, why do you keep coming to America for these international leadership conferences? He said, because we know if America goes down, we go down also. And, you know, that's an interesting perspective that they see the benefit of what's happened and what God did here in America, how it spread by example. Not that America is the great thing. It's just that, that when something happens that powerfully, people pick it up. So we're doing that on Monday night. And then Tuesday, outdoors, along the waterfront, we've had tremendous uh, uh, cooperation from the historical societies. We're going to re- reenact the pilgrim actually landing right near the rock. Wow. And we're going to do that with uh, various historic societies. We're going to have uh, small addresses. We're going to show people that indeed, uh, with a, a mini little parade, of course, we do the big Thanksgiving parade uh, mm-hmm. each year, but we're going to mm-hmm. really uh, highlight the fact that, listen, this was not just an event, a blip on the radar screen. This, though it was not noticed by many, uh, they are footnotes in history. The pilgrims rarely even make it into history books at all. Um, the, the Puritans, the bigger ones, and of course, the, uh, some of the things that took place later on, second and third generation, the horrific things that took place, are, are given most of the... Uh, let's say the print in in books today, but we want to say, look, there were some good things that happened. There are people that were really sacrificed, both sides, both native and um, and English, and we want to accentuate those things. Why not hand down to our children and our grandchildren the good things that did take place, and to say, look, there's hope for the future. We can learn and we can get along with people we differ with. We don't have to be calling each other's names just because we uh, differ on something. We want to work for not only a great harmony and unity in the town of Plymouth. And that's happening. And it's exciting to see. We're working with the Plymouth 400. We're working with the other organizations. I'm glad to hear there. this. And I'll tell you, it is it is a powerful time. And we're going to see, we're praying that we were going to see some powerful things and people are going to say, hey, you know what? Americans can work together. You know what? People can do it. And just like those pilgrims who everything went wrong with them, that turned out right. Why not get that kind of a uh, an area? I know someone said to me, well, gee, Everything's all about war and battles today. I said, yes, and the pilgrims wrote this. We were armed with faith and patience against the grim and grisly face of poverty. Well, you know what? We can be armed that way again and overcome these obstacles and see great things. So I'm excited about what's happening. And at the website. How do do, do people go? How do people find out? They go right to our website, plymrock.org plimrock.org and they could, they're going to find on the website it's going to be populated very soon they're going to be able to reserve tickets to the various events the tours the seminars uh, and find out what's going on in Plymouth Massachusetts after all it's America's hometown it's where self-government was born and it's where that those feet of those pilgrims that tiny church as a remnant stepped on that rock and so the amazing. rest is history so much thank you so much Paul Paul Jaley um, for the 400th anniversary of the Pilgrim Landing in Massachusetts. It's plimrock.org to find out more. Thanks, Paul. The Blaze Radio Network. On demand.